Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Farscape Season 4, Episode 8. I shrink, therefore I am. Oh my okay. god, I forgot that was the title of this episode. Okay, so number one, mm-hmm. number one, much like Charmed, aren't we deciding that like the episodes are inversely as good as the episode titles? Immediate counter-argument, Womb Raider. Okay, I guess it's random. I guess it's random. <laughs> or Charmed. The one where they fight pirates. It's a terrible title. Oh, okay, never mind. Kill Billy. Wait, are you saying it's a bad title or a good title? I actually think it's a pretty good title. Oh, I guess that does work because it's the episode where Billy's parents become assassins because Billy has the magical powers of God. Yeah. It's so weird that they're like, oh, Billy has this... Billy gets her secondary power almost immediately, and it's omnipotence. This is the wrong podcast we, to be we, talking about yeah, this Yeah, we're talking about the terrible stuff that happens later in Charmed. Okay, I'm Wait, not... this is a story I really should save for our Charmed podcast, but maybe I'll just tell it again. Out of literally no fucking where. Nowhere. Um... Yesterday, my coworker turned around, my coworker I share an office with, my office mate, she turned around and said to me, do you like the show Charmed? What? <laughs> Did she mean classic Charmed or new Charmed? She meant classic Charmed. I should, I'm, I would assume right off the bat, which is probably wrong. Nobody me, likes new Charmed. It wasn't bad. It was nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, then I showed her our podcast. So, um. So you're. Hi, co- if you're listening. Your coworker's going to know a lot more about us come Monday. Uh, maybe not. Probably not. Probably not. Anyway. Wait, speaking of telling the same stories on uh, this podcast and on our Charmed podcast. Yes. I was reviewing a couple of old episodes, and we have almost word for word the same conversation about the Wicked movie adaptation in both podcasts. Well, Two different episodes. But almost the exact same conversation, almost word for word. Well, but that's important because the people need to know. And I don't expect everyone who listens to this podcast to listen to the Charmed one and vice versa. Yeah, they are kind of two very different. They uh, are very different properties. Yeah. By the way, on Gayest Episode Ever this week, Mm -hmm. they are doing an episode about 30 Rock, so they did a little diversion talking about Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Which we are going to talk about at some point. Wait, I don't think we've told them that. Oh, no, we've mentioned it. Oh, okay. I've been listening to old episodes. (laughs) Anyway, I'm very excited to do Welcome to the Sunset Strip. I'm doing my part to make sure all of you don't have to listen to the same stories over and over. That is very nice of you. Um, Once I've edited the podcast and put it out into the universe, I don't listen to it again. Yeah, I I understand the impulse. Anyway, I shrink, therefore I am. The second thing about I shrink, therefore I am Mm -hmm. is that... I was Googling it so I could look up who played the alien, the alien bounty hunter, and there were a lot of things called I Shrink, Therefore I Am. It's like a common pun. Yeah, I guess guess it's not super surprising. Also, I feel like this episode is spiritually a sequel to I Yench, You Yench, which is also a great episode with a terrible title. And that's the episode where they're- With the diner, right? With the diner. And you were talking when we watched this episode about how it's a stock plot, right? This episode is Die Hard on Um, a Spaceship. 
Yeah, it's Die Hard on a spaceship. John even says it at one point. I was I was gonna be like, this is gonna be my opening thing. I'm gonna be like, oh look, they did Die Hard on a spaceship, and then John like turns to the camera and he's like, it's Die Hard on a spaceship. I'm like, taking the wind out of my sails. John really does do our job a lot. Yeah, but I think that's why this episode works so well because it's a stock plot. So. They get to go off on all of these weird tangents without having to explain stuff all the time. Well, I like Farscape best when it does like an interesting take on tropes. So if they are trying to do something completely new for us, it's usually not as good as if they take a trope-filled episode and do something interesting with it, right? Mm. So I don't need you to come up with like a whole thing. I just want to see... Y'all do a bank robbery, okay? Just give me a heist gone wrong. Just give me a held hostage in a diner. Give me die hard in space. Not Moya got stuck mid-Starburst, and now we're in the area where Starburst happens, and also there's a psychic monster, and also everyone split it off into these four separate dimensions, and each of those dimensions are color-coded, and each color makes you feel a different emotion. Like, that, no. You're spending half the episode explaining the premise. And then it has to happen four times in every different color zone, because I guess they were just running short that week. But, like, I feel like a lot of times sci-fi shows can get lost in the premise of an episode. Mm -hmm. And by having a really basic premise, you can really get into some good meat and potatoes storytelling. Which I feel like this episode definitely does. And this episode, I feel like, has good drama, and also it has a lot of really good comedic moments. And all of the comedic moments come from character. And also, this episode has so many, I don't want to say callbacks, but it's built so much on previous episodes. Like, this this is a great episode. It really is. So, in the previously on, we briefly remember that Noranti has been giving John this, like, bug thing or whatever that lets him... Forget about the pain of Aaron. And when we open, he and Naranti are on a transport pod, and she mentions Aaron, and he's like, wow, I haven't thought about her in hours. And Naranti's like, you can take as much of this as you want. I promise it will have no ill effects. Okay, that's all we're going to talk about it this week. We'll see if it comes up again. Does this come back as a thing? Maybe. I don't remember. We'll see. So Naranti's kind of massaging John, and she's like, ooh, John, just let the pain flow out of you. Ooh, and then John's having all of these, like, flashbacks to all of the times he and Aaron have made out. And also, like, some of his weird fantasies of Aaron that he had in the episode where she gave him, like, an overdose of that stuff. Mm. Okay, so, John expects- No princess Aaron, though, at least not that I caught. I don't think there was a princess Aaron. Okay, so this is what I'm talking about as far as uh, comedy based on character. They get to Moya. John's like, huh, nobody's out there to greet us. Pilot, what's going on? Where is everybody? And Pilot's like, everybody's busy, John. No one can help you unload the groceries. And we see on Pilot that everybody is knocked unconscious and wearing magnetic handcuffs. And John's like, where is everybody? And Pilot's like, well, Dargo's doing Rigel's laundry. And Aaron is writing poetry. John says, what about Chiara and Sokozu? And he says, they are enjoying each other's company. To be fair, that one might be accurate because Chiana does often have sex with women she hates. I thought you were going to say it's accurate because they're unconscious. (laughs) 
they reached a better point. She has a better relationship. Ooh, I was going to say she has a better relationship with Sokozu than she did with Jewel, but her thing with Jewel was weird. Like, yeah. She actively hated Jewel, but also they definitely had sex. Huh. It's interesting that you said that because Dargo and Jewel were a couple. Like, huh. well, I'm just saying it's a weird. If you think about her relationship with Jewel and the fact that, you know, she and Dargo were together and then not because she had sex with Dargo. It's just, there's a lot of psychosexual stuff happening on this ship. That's what I'm saying. I mean, she and Jewel definitely had sex on that Vacation Planet episode. Oh, yeah. Like, they definitely had sex then. But the thing is, they never actually stop hating each other. Like, they hang out more because I guess you just hang out with whoever's around. Like, as soon as soon as Chiana got a chance to not hang out with Rigel, she immediately ditched him for other people. Remember how often? Oh, yeah. Chiana and Rigel were usually, like, paired up out of default. Default? We're, we're usually, like, default paired up. Yeah, yeah, early on. But as soon as they started introducing other women, Chiana's like, nah. Yep. Even if they're women she hates, which it has almost exclusively been. I guess it makes sense she didn't really pair well with Xan. Did the two of them ever really have any moments? It's weird because they're both such hypersexual characters, but they didn't really ever do stuff together. Well, I would feel uncomfortable with a hypersexual moment between Zan and Shiana because Zan feels so much older than Shiana, like spiritually. Like she's an old soul, whereas Shiana, <laughs> Shiana's brand new. Yeah, I mean, that that is sort of the dynamic we saw them having, that Zan was weirdly kind of a mother figure to Shiana. Yeah, definitely much, yeah, definitely much more maternal. Yeah. God, Zan has cast such a huge shadow over the rest of the show. She's been, I, I know she came back last episode, but she's been dead for a while and we're still talking about her a ton. But I feel like you kind of have to. I feel like you kind of have to. Why do I kind of do? No, you just liked Zan so much more than I did. Oh, yeah. I, you, you And you, you honestly, you really brought me around to liking her a lot more. And, and kind of the things that I used to hate about her, you brought me around to kind of liking. Like, I hated the way that she pretends to be a character who's about peace and love, but is actually an ice-cold assassin, uh, like, assassin. But now I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Girl boss! <laughs> I mean, her her entire character is basically trying to gaslight everyone, including herself, into thinking that she's a good person. She's she's basically the embodiment of that one song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right, there we go. Anyway, this episode. Yeah, John and knows we, that it's yeah, yeah, it's a trap, obviously. Right off the bat. He sees he also sees that there's like a little ship kind of clinging to the hull of Moya, like it's almost like insectoid the way it's like clung onto it. It's kind of it's really cool looking. And he is trying to figure out what's going on. His first two guesses are they're still in the game or Scorpius is actually out on the ship. Mm. I think this is really interesting because these aren't obvious guesses, but I think it shows the mental strain that John is under. He doesn't even know what's real anymore. Maybe we're still in the game from last week. To be fair, that's actually kind of a good mindset for John to be in, given how often this sort of thing happens. That's I mean, fair. It's not the case in this episode, but like, how many times has there been madness gas or something like I feel like it's really good to clock these things right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. That in actuality, there is a bounty out on John. 
It's the same kind of little bounty thing that we saw before, like way, way back in season one. And this time it's Greza offering a bounty on John for like a hundred million currency units. Currency units. Sure, why not? I. Has there been an established universal credit system? No, no, there hasn't. Because I know it was a big thing that they mostly use. Uh, Peacekeeper credits. Yeah, peacekeeper credits. I was trying to remember the name of the race, but I guess it's just peacekeeper credits, because if you're using them, you're under the control of the Empire. Right. So, uh, they've been using peacekeeper credits, but one of the things they were suspicious of Sukozu of was because she had uh, Scarin credits. And she was like, yeah, because I'm in the Scarin part of the universe. That's the money you use. Well, you remember when they when they robbed the bank, there were all different types of currency. So, yeah, there's no universal currency. Until this episode. I mean, I guess they could just be talking about... Uh, Peacekeeper credits. Yeah. I guess if you're a racist, you kind of don't think about the fact that other... If you're the degree of racist that the peacekeepers are... Yeah. Then you kind of just don't think about other uh, cultures as... Yeah, you're not worried about that. You're like, I'll give them peacekeeper money and they'll be happy. That's you get what you get and you don't get mad. That sounds like maybe they should be thinking about switching to the scaring dollar. Oof. Yeah. So, Naranti takes this thing that's going to let her exist in a vacuum for three hours so that she can just be outside the ship while this plot is happening. Yeah, John's like, are you going to be okay? It seems like... I'm ruling out, like, I'm going to just assume that we're in reality for right now. I'm assuming that he's, that pilot's trying to tell me that everyone's being held hostage, which, yeah, fair. Makes sense that you work out this sort of thing, you know. It happens so often. And he's like, look, are are you going to help me out? Are you going to be okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to be in the vacuum of space for a little bit. She's like, it's very relaxing. <laughs> She's just going to disassociate in space. She gets mentioned later in the episode in a way that made me think that she was going to come back to fix something in the climax. Like, it seemed like a real Chekhov's gun moment when they were, like, talking about her randomly in the middle of the episode. But that just never happens. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, anyway, so she's chilling in the vacuum of space and John crashes the transport pod right into the little ship that's clinging to Moya. Which is their boarding craft, by the way, so presumably they have a bigger, better craft out somewhere else. Which makes sense. Moya has little transport pods. Yeah. But John just crashes right into it and destroys it. And the aliens are like, so he's dead, right? We just watched a gigantic explosion. And the other alien, they're all aliens. The other, <laughs> the other alien is like, have you not been watching the show? This whole thing opened with him crashing into a ship. He's fucking alive. He is alive and on this ship, and now it's fucking diehard in a spaceship. Yay. I mean, oh no, crime. See, I'm not even a big fan of diehard, but I love diehard plots and other things. Yeah. I mean, diehard's a pretty good movie. Like, Yeah, it's, it's not bad or anything. It's just not, I don't have the guy worship for that movie a lot of guys, guys have. have. I mean, in the genre of 80s action films, it's one of the best. And I like the genre of 80s action films because they're fun. I feel like modern action films just aren't fun anymore. But they quip now. Everyone quips. That's funny that you said that. It's actually the quipping that I miss. I feel like it's all, like, extended sequences of fighting. Well, the MCU movies have, you know, Iron Man says something pithy every few seconds. 
Yeah, but then we have to like watch CGI fighting for like an hour. Yeah, the little pithy quotes are over it. I, I, it's it's just interesting that you said that because I know a lot of people complain about how uh, quippy. Yeah, empty. You know, quasi funny dialogue. As uh, I'm. This is a sad reference I'm going to make. As the MCU-themed episode of The Simpsons had their Iron Man pastiche say, I'm going to say something that sounds like a joke and is in the cadence of a joke, but isn't actually funny in any way. I mean, that's so not fair. Like, superhero movies should be funny, and they should be allowed to be funny. Yeah. Like, that's what's wrong with the DC movies, is that they're so, so dry. Oh, not Shazam. Bloodless. And that's why it's one of the best ones. Anyway, the aliens are like, John Crichton, come out, come out, wherever you are. Or else come we'll- out and play. Or else we'll torture your friends. And then one of the aliens was like, hey, he totally fucked our boarding pod. Should I like get a transport pod ready? And the other alien is like, no, those transport pods are ass. Which is mean. Moya is a living thing. She can hear you. But uh, John's watching them from... In case you didn't know that it was a diehard riff, John is watching them from the vents. Yeah. He is crawled into the vents because John knows what this is. Yep. John will look into the camera and say it later. He's also still using the stuff that Naranti gave him. He is a real and you can sing along moment. Yes, yes. That's a reference to in the Buffy musical Once More with Feeling, where Buffy very briefly breaks the fourth wall because they knew that that was going to be Rocky Horror Picture Show until, I don't know, UPN shut it down? The CW shut it down? I mean, I don't know who shut it down. I do know that last time I was at Dragon Con, they were still doing it just kind of quietly. Yeah, because, I, I mean, it was made to be Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right? Like, there's so many perfect chances for a call and response. Yeah, it's... Yes. I'm disappointed I've never been to one. Oh, been to a few. So... I remember one time I was there, and uh, I said, you know what? I, I said to this person who I was with who was dating a friend of mine, but is not a friend of mine. I actually think she... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I said to her, you know... It's funny, you can do something every single day, but doing it in a room with a whole crowd of people, it just, it makes, it's more exciting. It makes it different. She goes, you watch Buffy every single day? And I was like, you don't? Because if you don't, that sounds like a you problem. Yeah, I, I am no longer in that phase of my life, but I think throughout college, and honestly, the last couple of years of high school... I watched an episode of Buffy, at least one episode of Buffy every single day. Well, at that particular period in my life, Buffy, there were two episodes that aired every afternoon on, like, USA or whatever, whatever channel was syndicating them. Mm -hmm. So I would DVR them, and then the next morning while I was getting ready for work, that's what I would just turn on in the background was getting ready for work. So yeah, I watched Buffy every single day. Ah, see, what I did was I started watching it when the DVD started coming out. Uh Uh-huh. So... I would just watch through them in order, and then I would loop around when I was done, and every time a new DVD set uh, came out, it it would just get a little longer as I cycled through. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, when I was doing this, the DVDs already existed, so I was just 
was just watching it because it was on. Although I did switch over to a different show after I'd gone through Buffy a few times. Yes. I was like, man, I've done like 10 Buffy rewatches in a row. I need something else. And my friend was like, let me tell you about another show. You heard of Charmed? Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Hey, kid, you want to try a little Charmed? It's all Laurie's fault. Laurie, Laurie did this to us. I mean... It's like Buffy, but a little spicier. I was actually thinking about that line from The Good Place. The, I love humans because you'll take something and make it just a little bit terrible so that you can have more of it. That's what, that's what it is. Anyway, the aliens are talking about finding, finding John up in the vents. And one of them asks Rigel, hey, which of you does John care about the most? And Rigel says, me, duh. And we see that this alien can read Rigel's thoughts, and Rigel's thinking... Mm, where have we seen aliens that can do that before? Right? Sorry. Go he also asks Rigel where John will go. Well, he, he, says to, he says to Rigel, like, who does John Crichton love the most? And Rigel says me, and the creature reads his mind, and probably Aaron, and or Aaron definitely, and then probably Gianna next... And then Dargo, and then Sikozu, and then the witch. I mean, does John love Chiana second most? Because I feel like he loves Chiana in a different way than he loves Dargo. But I think there's a strong argument for him to be made for him loving Dargo second most, like as a brother. Oh, no, I'd give it to Chiana second most. Just because she he has a weird conflicted thing where... She's both someone he wants to have sex with and also his little sister. It's not inaccurate. Like, it's really, really weird. And the show's pretty explicit about it, especially in that episode with, uh... Remember where he has the hallucination where he thinks they're on Earth? And, like, Chiana's having sex with his dad, but she's also, like, flirting with him constantly? And he's like, okay, why are you having sex with every single person in my life? And she's like, because I'm bored, Johnny. And that's what Shiana does when Shiana's bored. He's going to punish me. And it's like, yeah, that is a, it is weird. Yeah. Like, I feel like a writer might have been working something out there. That's. I mean, honestly, it's funny that we haven't really delved into it. And I, I think. Maybe we haven't delved into it because it's uncomfortable, but John's relationship with Chiana is interesting. It is weird. Oh my god, you know what it is? My god, you know what it is? What? John is Jeff Winger and Chiana is Annie. We try not to sexualize <laughs> Chiana. Oh, that's a terrible lies. But, well, no, no, right? You see it, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, John Crichton is Jeff Winger and Chiana's Annie. Except, weirdly, it's kind of a less sexual version of that. You mean more sexual? No, no, because Jeff and Annie are legitimately played as love interests, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely not a thing with, uh, like, John and Chiana, we think that they might have had sex, but they're never really paired as love interests. Oh, that's an interesting phase. That's an interesting face. So the alien asks Rigel who John loves the most, and he's like, Aaron, duh, then probably Chiana. And in his head. The alien's reading his mind. Right, right, in his head. And then the alien asks him, what's John going to do? And he says he's going to go to the central chamber and get fucking wasted. 
And he thinks he's going to go to his room, he's going to get weapons, he's going to come back, he's going to free pilot, and then he's going to kill all of you. A lot. Mm. He it's, also- it's nice to see Rigel has that faith in John. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's earned at this point, but it's not the sort of thing he'd ever say out loud. Oh yeah, definitely not. He also specifically thinks about the shield generator that they got a few episodes ago. Yeah, that just keeps getting referenced. You know, it's funny. I hate that episode so many. Lava's a many splendored thing. Yeah, I hate that episode so much. But that shield's come in handy. You mean the pooping and vomiting episode where everyone's constantly pooping and vomiting everywhere? That's the episode you hate? I just, it's, I, I don't. It's so gross for no reason. But yeah, they're, they're really, uh. Really pushing that force field generator thing. Yeah, yeah. So the aliens decide they're going to go to Pilot's Den and wait for John to come. And we see Chiana and Sokozu kind of wake up. And it's funny, when we were watching this episode, I was like, it's a shame that they don't have Jewel with them because Jewel could just like melt the cuffs with her, with her screaming. Mm-hmm. And you made a very good point. Uh, the point that Jewel has never used her powers in a useful way at all. She only ever uses them to screw up. Yeah. I'm, although, technically, I was wrong. In the last episode, uh, she appeared in. That was the one and only time she ever actually used the metal scream, you know, the metal melting scream, in a way that actively helped the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking about this so much, I'm sure I've mentioned it here before, but how bummed the actress who played Jewel must have felt that they, like, were basically just using her to workshop a character and then they came out with a version of the character everyone liked immediately afterwards i mean even worse than that it's like they were like you know what this character's not working i'm sorry i'm sorry jewel we're going in a different direction and by a different direction i mean literally exactly the same direction but for some reason we like this one yeah i mean oof that's that's And and then they brought her back for an episode where her one joke was that no one liked her no one wanted to cannibalize her which is weird because they did, right? They cannibalized her for Sokozu. Yeah. Oh. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. But really, the only reason Jewel was in that episode was because we needed to identify what point in time John's memories had been, like, yoinked. So he had Jewel in his memory, but not Sokozu. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, down in Pilot's Den, Chiana's like, hey, Sokozu, let's distract these guys with sex. And Sokozu's like, oh, I am all over this. Hey, boys, I have a very compelling argument for why you should free us. I, I love Sokozu. She's a great character! Oh, man, she's fantastic. Do you think she's ever had sex? Or, or- no, I don't. Um, Earl- Later in this episode, Rigel's going to kind of yell at her and tell her that she is an infant, that she knows all of this stuff about the world, but that she has experienced nothing. And I was thinking about her a lot as Mary in the black and white room, that kind of thought experiment. Do you know this thought experiment? No. Okay, I know it because they talk about it in the movie Ex Machina, just to put all my cards on the table there. Which I've, I saw that movie, I don't remember. So Mary in the black and white room is, um, this woman has been raised in a room that was all black and white, not no colors at all, but she's an expert in color. She's had it described to her. She understands wavelengths. She understands whatever science is behind color. Like, she knows everything about color. But she's literally never seen it. So does she know what red is? Hmm. The reason they talk about it in Ex Machina is because it's a way to talk about AI. Yeah. 
So the question, so that's, that's what Sokozu is. Sokozu is Mary in the black and white room. And now she's out in the world. Yeah. Tiana's like, yeah, buddy, why don't, why don't you take off that little bug suit and then uh, we can go to clown town. And he's like, if I wanted to go to clown town with you, I would have gone to clown town with you because this series is for some reason, this season's been leaning really hard on the sexual assault things. I mean, Tiana, it's a, don't like it. Don't care for it. The nineties really were like that. Early two thousands. It's unfortunate. So, Chiana does kind of just shrug it off, though. She's like, "Okay, so take off your armor, take off my handcuffs." I I don't know. We seem to be on the same page. And Pilot's like, "Um, excuse me." And uh, the alien guy's like, "Hey, shut up." I, I know they're all aliens, <laughs> but the, the new alien. We can say aliens. You know what we mean. So John exits the duct system in the cargo bay, and there he discovers that the DRDs have been shut down. So no help from the DRDs. I, I think I like how pilot systems are still working enough for him to do like hand wave stuff to get past the sensors. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that he did not go straight for his room the way Rigel assumed he would. I mean, he does eventually, but not immediately. Immediately, he goes to Scorpius's cell. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think Rigel underestimates the depth of feeling John has for Scorpius. Yeah, the amount of trauma that he's still processing with Scorpius. Even even now, there is no reason to think Scorpius has anything to do with what's happening, but John makes that assumption. John assumes that this that Scorpius somehow contacted these bounty hunters and sold them out. This is going to be kind of a weird sentence, but I really think it's the case. Scorpius is the person John has the most faith in. Yes. Yes. He believes that he always knows what Scorpius will do. No, he believes that Scorpius can do basically anything he puts his mind to. Ah. Like... He hates Scorpius. Scorpius is his, like, worst enemy guy. But he also believes that Scorpius is capable of basically anything. He Scorpius is the person he has the most faith in. That is interesting and accurate. Yeah. You know how I've talked about how I hate villains like Glory in the fifth season of Buffy who are just completely unbeatable? Yeah. Scorpius is absolutely not that, but that's how John sees him. Especially because he has... Not I'm, died so many times. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, like, by the time he got to the point where he literally watched Scorpius get shot a bunch of times and then buried in a hole, he was like, I've seen him survive worse. He'll be back. God. Anyway, John finds the 1812. We didn't really get a good explanation for that. He's Scorpius. So he's an invincible villain. I mean, he's not. It's just that he's part scared. He's a lot harder to kill. So John finds the 1812 DRD, which you'll remember he took from the dying Leviathan that he was on at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. So that DRD is still functional because he runs on different systems than pilots. So when pilots shut down all the DRDs, this one's still going. Yeah. See, again, like, this is building on stuff that has already happened in the show. I really, really like the way this episode is constructed. So John finds Scorpius and he's like, why'd you get bounty hunters? And Scorpius is like, I didn't get bounty hunters. I just assumed when bounty hunters came aboard that I should not be 
captured by them. John's like, well, then how come they let you out of the cell? And Scorpius is like, okay, John, I literally could have gotten out of that cell any time. I was just chilling there to give you peace of mind. Like, I don't know if you've noticed from our many, many, many encounters, but I am freakishly strong. John says you just broke out with your bare hands, and Scorpius says, well, gloved hands, but yes. So John and Scorpius have to work together to die hard the situation. And John's like, oh, we're not going to be friends at the end of this. I know that this is how this sort of plot works. This is not going to be enemies to lovers. I swear to God, Scorpius. Jeez, I was thinking of a Zuko thing, but. Yeah, it kind of is. a Grace thing. Oh, yeah. He already did that. Although but, even then, I mean, he didn't get that close with Grace. Yeah, but he, he's like, Scorpius, look, we're going to have to work together to get through this, but. I still really, really hate you, and I would kill you if that seemed to work ever, but it doesn't, so I'm just going to use you because it looks like that's it looks like I have no other choice. Yeah. So they're gonna lure they're gonna lure the aliens, the alien bounty hunters into a trap. John gives Scorpius a gun, because Scorpius is gonna be the bait, and then they go to the area where the where the fans are that pass air through the rest of the system that was a poorly written episode yeah except they've come back we saw them before and now we see them again and i, know, I was referencing in galaxy no quest no i know like, no yeah. no i was yeah okay i was with you yeah. except in galaxy quest the whole thing about that episode is they only existed for that one episode here we come back to the fans yeah and john specifically goes to where the fans are so that when he calls the bounty hunter and tells him you know fuck you the bounty hunter will be like, oh, I can tell where he is because I can hear the air system. That's so smart. So one of the guys comes down, Scorpius jumps out, shoots at him with the bazooka that John gave him, and then realizes that it doesn't have any charge thing in it. And it's all ba, no zook. The look on his face. I like that. It's all ba, no zook. I like, yeah. The look on his face, he's like, are you fucking kidding me, John? Are you... Are you kidding me? Like, he, he knew it was coming. But then John jumps out and shoots the guy with bazooka, for real. Yeah. His has it, lots of zooka. I like how the guy, the, the bug alien guy, shrugs off, like, three blasts with it. And he's like, haha, your weapon is useless against me. And then John just keeps shooting him, and eventually he dies. Sometimes it just takes more shots. Like, the the... Again, I know I've referenced this before, but one of my favorite bits in The Simpsons, when Maggie gets locked in the bathroom. And uh, they're all trying to come up with different solutions to, you know, get Maggie out of the bathroom. Lisa tries picking the lock with a coat hanger. And then, like, Homer's trying all these different things. And then Lisa gets the door open. And Homer's like, how did you do that? And she's like, I tried the coat hanger again. I don't know why this family gives up after trying something once. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, I I like that John was just like, I shouldn't actively assume that it is useless just because he shrugged off a few. I'm just going to keep going till he's dead. And he is very dead. He... They pull open his chest plate and there's just steaming guts inside oh, it. Well, so what happens is John tries to have like a Scooby-Doo moment where he's like, let's see who this guy really is and pull off his helmet. But his it's face. not a helmet. It's, it's just, his face. It's an exoskeleton. So he ends up just pulling off his head. Oops. And this is so, this is so important. So John's like, Trying to figure out what to do, and he says, 
Because his bazooka's out of out of ammo now that he shot this guy a million times. But, you know, whatever. He'll figure it out on the fly. And Scorpius says, I may have joined the wrong side. Which is what John says in the pilot to Aaron when she's like, what the fuck is compassion? Let's go kill a bunch of people that aren't peacekeepers. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. I just, I like the symmetry of it. So, back at the, uh, where the main bad guys have coalesced, I guess, where they've made their base on Moya. Which is on the bridge. On the bridge. They're, uh, they're like, he killed one of us? How? We're super tough alien guys. And Aaron's like, John's gonna kill all of you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you were dead the minute you stepped foot on Moya. She doesn't say it right now, but at one point later he says, we will, we will find, we, we will see John Crichton. And she says, yeah, about three seconds before he kills you. Oh, she has so much trust in him. But to be fair, the other alien is like, this guy's a fucking psycho. He killed Tim and then he ripped off his head for some reason. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck, man? Pretty, pretty messed up. We're just trying to Boba Fett through the universe and do our job and finance our vet. What the fuck is this guy's problem? We said we were going to take him alive. Jesus Christ. We've been doing this at a three and he came in at a nine. That was, there is no need for this kind of escalation. So. Scorpius is like, okay, so we'll just keep shooting them with that gun. And John's like, oh, those were all of the bazooka bullets it had. Bazooka bits. <laughs> John, <laughs> John suggests that they do the trick where they overload the battery in the pulse pistol so that it explodes. And Scorpius is like, that is not a very original trick. And John's like, fuck you, it works. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to come up with a new trick every episode if one of them works. Sailor Moon just does the same thing to end every episode of Sailor Moon and it works for her. This is my version of the dance that Sailor Moon does that makes people explode. Exactly. All right, so we've talked about- I think she'd just do it at the beginning of episodes, right? She can't do it until it is plot significant, like Roger Rabbit breaking out of the handcuffs. Enough time has to elapse into it. Yeah. It has to be comedically- it has to work comedically. So, Chiana, you know how I have no idea where her powers came from or how they work? Yeah. Okay, so- The guy is, like, fucking around on his gauntlet, and he shrinks Sokozu down to, like, teeny tiny- Later, Chiana will describe her as being hand, like a hands with tall, which I think is a good description. Yeah. I think they look smaller than that, but. Like this tall. Anyway, the guy shrinks down Sokozu teeny tiny, and Chiana is watching his, like him type something in on the gauntlet, and forces herself to have a vision where she sees what the code is, and then she loses she she goes blind as she does after she has a vision but it's, is, is this ever how her powers have worked before or it's not like she saw the future she just she forced herself to like rewind the tape and see some other moment in the past where he's typed in a code and know what the code is it's very she was seeing a future where he didn't die and type the code in some more i mean i guess he uses it again later in the episode so it's very strange but move over Phoebe Hollowell, right? I mean, Gianna's powers are much more useful, definitely more confusing. But yeah, I guess I guess when there are no rules, you could you could be more useful. 
So Darko attempts a prison break. He actually uses his tongue, points for using the tongue, but nothing really works because, you know, exoskeletons. Yeah. And Dargo's like, Dargo gets his ass knocked to the ground and exoskeleton guy's like, killing you would cost me in reward, but it might be worth it. And then he shoots him with the shrink ray and he puts him in a tube. Okay, so the tube that he puts him in is like stored in his chest. Speaking of speaking of Iron Man, mm. so the deal is that I mean it is a good idea to have a body armor that is made out of the person who you're fighting's friends. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. That's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. He tells he tells Aaron to tell John what just happened because there's no point in having a failsafe if the guy doesn't know you have a failsafe. So she tells him, yeah. He shrunk everybody down, and now they're inside tubes in his chest, so if you shoot them, our friends will die. Apparently, that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, this episode probably ended up on some interesting websites back in the day. I mean, I don't feel... Oh, maybe. Maybe. I feel like they're shrinking... This is this is an Australian TV show in the early 2000s. They only had so much budget... But there's not a lot of scenes where the shrunken people interact with normal-sized people. Like, a lot of the scenes, once everyone is shrunk, take place within the tubes. So I feel like it's not as um, fetishy, because it's not like there's all these shots of, like, John holding tiny Aaron. Yeah, but I feel like if you're a shrinking fetishist, is there a word for that? I think it's shrinking fetishist. Okay, if you're a shrinking... I, I assume that there's some sort of weird Greek word. Yeah, there. I know. I'm just joking. There probably is something. But if you were a shrinking fetishist, then I'd imagine you'd have a kind of limited pool when it comes to media where adult women are shrunk. Um, are okay, we literally... We literally just had an episode of Charmed where it happened. Yeah, I'm not saying... I'm not saying there is no content out there for you, but I, I'm not assuming you're rolling in content. Not like someone who likes a... I don't know generic clad in leather person like that you're spoiled for choice if you like people in leather if 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 your thing is people being shrunk then you're more limited that's fair i would imagine i I don't know i guess it's a pretty common trope do you like people having their eyes fucked with if so then this is also the show for you i don't want to know the latin word for that one we actually haven't seen a lot of that lately yeah which i'm fine with Sorry, I mutilation fetishists, but uh, I'm okay if we can go many, 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 many episodes without seeing that again. I would be happy if it never came up in the show again. Yep. Though I'm sure it will. So, the next thing we get is Sakozu and Rigel inside one of the little tubes. And I really, really love this scene. This is the one I was talking about where Rigel tells her she's an infant who's never experienced anything. She's like... I don't understand how our molecules could shrink. What about, like, conservation of mass? Why didn't this make, like, a giant black hole in the middle of the ship? Roger's like, I don't know, it didn't. Whatever. She's like, where'd all our extra molecules go? And Roger's like, maybe our molecules shrink. She's like, if our molecules shrank, then we would suffocate because we wouldn't be able to take in air molecules into our lungs because they would be way too big. And Roger's like, listen, listen. This is not important. None of this matters at the moment. But more importantly, we are shrunk. So all of your talk about how the science couldn't possibly exist is, we're shrunk. 
like, I don't walk around and go, oh, this is scientifically impossible when it's fucking happening to me. That's just, that's just not rational. Sokozu, it's just not rational. Okay, I'm going to reveal what a massive, massive nerd I am to you for the second time today. Okay. By referencing the bit in uh, the Dragon Ball Z Abridged series where Trunks is talking to Gohan about time travel. And Trunks is surprised at how blasé and accepting Gohan is of time travel. And Gohan's like, yeah, it's pretty basic theoretical physics. Although I guess it's just physics now. <laughs> See, this actually makes me think of the bit in From Dust Till Dawn after all of the vampires reveal themselves and the humans escape into the back room to like regroup and figure out what to do. And the guy's like, listen. Just to get one thing straight, I don't want to deal with any, there's no such thing as vampires. Let's just all agree, those were fucking vampires, and we're not going to worry about, oh no, there's no such thing as vampires. Who would have known that vampires were real, except for every civilization ever? So, yeah. See, normally you're the one that quotes the Rick and Morty thing about. I think that's one of my favorite lines from Rick and Morty. So, John and Scorpius are talking, and Scorpius is overheating because he needs to change his coolant rods, because otherwise he is going to die. And eh, just stick his head into space for a little bit. But speaking of referencing things that happened before, remember we used all of the coolant formula before, so he says that this is a new kind of coolant rod that Sokozu has created for him, and it needs to be changed more often because she's just not, you know, she's yeah. just not as good. But, you know, they answered the question of what happened before. I don't know, this episode's just so interested in continuity. So, John puts the, like, exploding gun on the ground. He's got a plan. It's not Winona, is it? Or does he just call every gun he holds onto for more than a few seconds Winona? No, it's not Winona, because he continues to have Winona. I don't know where all these other guns come from that he explodes. He just... I feel like it would just make more sense if he called whatever gun he had at the moment Winona, but... No, because remember when they separated, ScarJo took... Wait. ScarJo's the one that left, right? Yeah. yeah. ScarJo took Winona with him, and regular John was so pissed that ScarJo took Winona. So he's like, hey, alien guy, come out and play. And the alien guy comes over, and he sees the gun about to explode, and he shrinks it teeny tiny, and then it like just goes, poof. Boy, this was a metaphor for something that'd be pretty rough on John. And then he starts making fun of John for trying to do that, and John's like, well, actually, I was just luring you into a trap. So that it's great. The DRD shoots him a ton of times and then a spring loaded spike comes out of the ceiling and the, the, the not, D- not Garrett's. Is there a word for when you he's pinned? Well, is there I feel like there's a specific word for when you like stab someone through the throat. I feel like there's a word for that that I'm not going to look up. Nope. But the DRD's not shooting at the guy. The DRD's shooting at, like, whatever thing is holding that thing in place so uh, that it, like, flies up and hits him and pins him to the wall of Moya. And then we with see- With a spike through the throat. It is a brutal death. He's still alive, I think. Ugh. No, you're right. He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. But Aaron- Pretty good if you- Aaron and Chiana are inside his little thing and they're like, what's happening? What's going on? I mean, it was smart of John to, you know, the guy- the guy had them uh, on a place so that John couldn't just shoot him a bunch in the chest like he shot the other guy, so. Yeah. And it was smart, but it just opened him up to a, I was going to say more horrible, but equally as horrible, I guess, death. Yeah. Scorpius just rips the women out of the guy's chest, too. 
yeah. pieces is like super strong remember and john takes the tube of the women and he runs away and scorpius gets caught by you know two more alien bounty hunters basically scorpius sacrifices himself so john can get away with aaron and that's a Chiana. generous read because i feel like the the guys came up on them and john was like out of here See a sucker, and Scorpius immediately had to deal with them. Scorpius tells him to run. Scorpius says run. Fly, you fools! So, John is chatting to them in the the tube, and he's like, so, good news, bad news. Good news is, you're not inside of an alien's chest anymore. Bad news, you're still teeny tiny. And Chan's like, well, I had a vision, so if you could get one of their gloves. And John has another little kissy flashback of all of the times he and Aaron have almost made out. He's like, oh, my heart. Well, he, he has it's that, like a Grinch situation, kind of. Well, he has that kissy flashback because he is snorting more of that stuff. Oh. Like, he's... This is this is becoming problematic. So Chan is like, like, there's an alien coming after John while he's all drugged out from snorting the relationship memory dust. And Chan is like, Aaron, do you think... This time I've gone too far and I'll be blind forever. And Aaron's like, I don't know. <laughs> Aaron's like, it's fine. Aaron's like, listen, the thing you did will let us live. We'll figure that all out later when we're still alive. And I appreciate Aaron's pragmatism. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. The thing about John's drugs, though, is they're not making him, like, they're not making him drugged up the way Ben Browder loves to play. We do see the flashes when he does it. But what they're making him is, like, cold to what he's feeling. They're they're letting him function at a level that he wouldn't be able to normally because he's not processing his emotions. I think that's where the danger is going to come from. And also maybe why he's more callously murdering people this episode. I Yeah, I think that's definitely part of what's going on with John. I mean, John can be pretty brutal when need be, but this feels... For some weird reason, it feels cold in the way John doesn't normally feel cold when he kills people. Yeah, yeah. Which might be, I don't know, projection or whatever on my part, but because, you know, John kills a lot of people in the show. Yeah. So, John is chatting with Chiana and Aaron, who are like, okay, list our assets. And he's like, a couple of guns with very limited ammo, a couple of DRDs, and me. And also, my leg got shot earlier, so. <laughs> so most of me most of me which i mentioned that his leg got shot only because when the two alien guys bring scorpius onto the bridge they're like bring him to the boss and they're like we don't know who this asshole is but he helped john when his leg got shot and the boss guy's like so john's leg was shot and you couldn't catch him they talk about how he was leaking vital fluids in the boss like if you do not capture this injured man with no weapons, then you will be the one who will be leaking leg fluid. He's not even a sebation. He's like below skill of a sebation. He couldn't even see Amy's naughty tattoo. Right? So Scorpius wakes up on the bridge. The boss alien is there and Scorpius is like, oh, oh, you're not one of those evil aliens. You're a different evil alien. You're secretly a Scarin. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy the guy takes off his face and he, he isn't full horse face. He's I at 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 first I assumed he was like a mixed breed like uh Scorpius, not 
necessarily half sebation, half whatever. Uh-huh. But I'm not necessarily half sebation, half Scarin, but like a different kind of mixed race, but it turns out that that's just what the upper class sebations look like, Scarins look like. Yeah, so um, basically they decided that if the Scarins are going to be the villains of the back half of this season, it's going to be too much to have them try to talk through those giant horse faces. At least I assume that's what they thought. So the ruling class have just flat faces. They're still alien looking, but their faces are flat. Mm, they're, so, they're more human-y. Yeah, it's kind of like a reverse Klingon. Mm. And yeah, he reveals that he has essentially... At some point, at some point in the past, he killed one of these bounty hunter aliens, grafted his exoskeleton onto his own body so that he could pretend to be that alien, and has been, like, doing bounty hunts for peacekeepers and getting secret intel while he did it. Yeah, this guy is a very, very deep cover spy, and honestly, I mean, that's pretty, uh... It's gruesome, but it seems like a pretty effective way to gather information about your enemy's enemies. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. But he tells Scorpius that, listen, everybody wants Scorpius, and this is, like, a big deal, so he's not gonna bring him back to Grey's Eye. Fuck, fuck John Crichton, fuck, fuck an infinite amount of currency. He's gonna call, uh, he's gonna call a Scarin Dreadnought, and he's gonna bring Scorpius back. He's going to bring Scorpius home. Yeah, yeah. And then he shrinks him down teeny tiny, which Scorpius does not like at all. Thank you very much. So, uh, shrinking fetishists out there, uh, shrinking fetishists and Scorpi, uh, fetishists, this is the episode for you. Right? There has to be some overlap there, right? People want to see horrible little monster men shrunk real tiny. I mean, sure. Everything's a thing on the internet. Yeah. So, okay. John's plan is that he's going to have the DRDs that are still working fire lasers at neck length and garrot, essentially, anybody who walks in and then the people in the tubes will be okay. And Aaron and Chiana are like, that's a terrible plan. That is not going to work. And John is being really blasé about Aaron and Chiana. Like, he's he's rolling the tube around. Yeah. And that's definitely a result of the drugs. It's got to be. So... So Scorpius is like, oh my, Scorpius is trapped in a tube with Dargo, and he's like, well, you've shut up for once, which is pleasant, but also, maybe your dumb idiot moron of Luxon brain will come up with something and we'll have an out-of-the-mouths-of-babes situation. And uh, Dargo's like, ah, you set me up for this, and he spits out a little calm. Yep, he saved it in his mouth. So, yeah. So... The boss, the boss alien bounty hunter, who's actually, who's actually a Scarin, goes to talk to Pilot and is like, I need you to signal a dreadnought. And Pilot's like, fuck, whatever. I like how Pilot also has the pain handcuffs. Like, they're only on two of his tentacles, but. Yeah, yeah. And then the Scarin actually, like, demagnetizes them so that Pilot can, you know, signal something, signal the dreadnought. And. And Scorpius tells, Scorpius overhears this and tells Dargo, this is really bad news because bounty hunters just want the money for us and then we can live another day and escape. But the Scarens are going to fucking kill us. Well, not me, because they won't be alive, but they're going to fucking kill you. I'm Moya, so. Yeah, his thing is with Moya. He's like, look, bounty hunters would have just taken us and then left Moya alone. The Scarens will kill Moya. 
Dargo does not know if this is true or not, but he calls John. He says, John, can we trust Scorpius? And John says, more today than yesterday. And Scorp- the look on Scorpius's face, he is so annoyed. He's like, God, fucking, I have saved your life so many times, John. Fuck you. But yeah. So Dargo lets them in on what's going on. And John is like, oh, well, this is perfect. I've been out here doing drugs, pushing down my emotions, having to deal with, like, with my love for the woman who doesn't want anything to do with me and is pregnant with what may or may not be genetically my offspring, but in any case is not actually my offspring because I'm not the John Crichton that got her pregnant. But she's in such, you know, grief over the death of that John Crichton that she's like, I'll pretend you're that John Crichton, but I know I'm not that John Crichton. And anyway, things have been really fucked, but now I can use my bard skills. I mean, I know this is because of the genre that Home Alone basically is, mm-hmm. but this is getting to be less diehard and more Home Alone. Well, Home Alone is diehard, but in a suburban house. I, I said that the wrong way around. Like, Home Alone is just a kid version of Die Hard that spawned its own subgenre of movies that were just kid versions of Die Hard, including a movie called Masterminds which was Die Hard in a prep school, and the Bruce Willis character was played by the guy who played Connor Angel. Oh, interesting. He's married to Alexis Bledel. He is married to Alexis Bledel. He definitely, uh... Married up. He married up, yeah. Also, you'll never guess who's the uh, Alan Rickman guy. Is it Alan Rickman? No. Who? I think... Is it Tim Curry? I think Star Trek. Is it Patrick Stewart? It is Patrick Stewart. Oh, wait. I remember that movie now. Yeah. 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 Anyway, John tries his, like, garroting the alien thing, and it doesn't work because their exoskeleton is super thick. And John's like, hey, guess what? Your boss is actually a Scarron, and he just called a dreadnought as pilot. And because he's a bard, they're like, um, wait here. We'll most likely kill you in the morning. Let's go check up on that, because that's not, we don't like that. Not at all. So. Yeah, and John's like, look, I know you probably think I'm lying, but I'm dead no matter what happens. So, come on. What do you have to lose here? Yep. So one of the guys goes to check it out. And he finds his boss, and he's like, hey, boss, um... Do me a favor and like open up your chest plate to show me that you're not a scarab. And he's like, I am so offended that you would ever ask me such a thing. And he's like, Okay, I really need you to do that. And he's like, My chest armor that says I am not a scarab appears to be raising some questions already answered by my chest armor. And then he kills him. Yeah, he uh he's like, Fine, I'll give you what you're asking for, and then just shoots him a bunch until he dies. And John leans down, he's like, Hey, Told you so. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, like, that guy melts. Like, the exoskeleton is still there, but the ins- the inner guy melts out of the armor. It's pretty, uh... Gruesome. Pretty gruesome. So, yeah. Now, yes. Now everyone except the scaring is dead, and John, like... I... Okay, John rips the arm off one of the ones in that was... Well, yeah, in the, the cargo one, bay? The one that melted in front of him. Yeah, no, no. It makes sense that he does that. It's just gross. Yeah. It's very gross. And I feel like this This feels like the gauntlet in season one to me, right? Mm. This feels like the show is escalating. In season one, he literally took a clean metal piece off of a guy after that guy became unconscious. Now, he's ripped out a 
guy's arm. Arm. Like he's ripped off a guy's arm, dug out the guts like a pumpkin, and put his hand in it. And he's releasing all of the little things to to find his friends. And he finds them and he tells them, sorry guys, Chiana only saw the code to make you shrink. Shrink. So um I'm just gonna set you aside until I figure out everything else. And he he knows that Dargo and he knows that Dargo and Scorpius are inside the Scarin guy. So he's like, okay, well, guess I gotta deal with that. He tells the DRD to babysit the the Shrinkos. The shrink the shrinky dinks. Oh I just there's anyway. There's a bit here where like they mention Naranti. Yeah, when he's listing what their assets were, Aaron's like, What about the old woman? What happened to her? Yeah, and and John's like, She's in uh she's in cryostasis. We don't have to worry about her. You know, thing that felt like it was going to come up later, and it just does not. It did not. So, Aaron comes in riding... When John goes chasing after the Scarin guy, Aaron comes in riding 1812 the DRD, like... Like, like she's surfing a DRD that's just shooting lasers. It's Like, she's in, like, Fury Road or something. <laughs> oh my god. It's a lot. Yeah, and she does. She gets almost immediately shot off because she's teeny tiny. And John, I is he super strong because he's wearing these guys' gauntlets, or is this just adrenaline that he like picks up a giant like barrel, like a, a cement barrel top from one of the things and like smashes the Scarin with it? I think he's supposed to be super strong. I think it's supposed to be a you know we're going to be lifting boxes with these earlier in the movie. Get ready for it to come back later. Oh, alien reference. Thank you. Nice. So. Now everyone's a shrinky dink. Yeah. John accidentally shrinks. Not accidentally. John shrinks himself and the scaring guy so that he can get the code that the scaring guy uses to make himself big again. And now John knows the get big code. Then he shrinks them both again. And he's like, um, why don't you look like a scaring? Just throwing that out there. And he's like, I'm upper class scaring. And John's like, okay, noted. Yeah, it, this whole feels like a real meta moment, because John's like, wait a second, that's not what the Scarin makeup usually looks like. And the Scarin's like, yeah, I'm upper class. Scarin, expect to be seeing a lot more like me. And I'm like, okay, that feels like a that, f- that feels like a moment where you're like winking at the camera. So John makes himself big, and then he crushes the Scarin like a bug. Yep. Oh, I just translated this passage actual size oh you know we don't do enough buffy references on this show that's true we hardly ever reference buffy so we get a little decompressed moment where john's talking to dargo and he's like so do we trust scorpius i don't know he saved us i whatever i guess we'll we'll figure it out later and then Rigel's like, hey, um, there's an old woman floating outside in space. And John's like, right, right. Someone pull her in. And then... Decompression time. Pilot talks to Aaron and he's like, listen, John and I wanted to run something by you. How do you feel about leaving the uncharted territories and instead heading to the Galaxy of Terror? Okay. 
Not to be Johnny reference pants, but I'm going to reference something else. Well, before you reference it, I should, because I, Galaxy of Terror was a reference. It's actually called Tormented Space. So, in, I, I've only watched the first couple seasons of Supernatural. Uh huh. But apparently they kill Satan in like season five and then it keeps going for like 14 more seasons after that. Yeah. And I saw a Tumblr description of the, uh, escalating order of supernatural bad guys is so they kill satan but then it turns out that satan has a bigger worse brother named evil steve <laughs> and then they kill evil steve but whoa it turns out that was just the warm-up satan for big joe and they just keep doing that until the show ends i thought i thought you were gonna reference the the line from Futurama, but don't worry about that. All of, all of the planets have names like that in the galaxy of terror. And Aaron's like, I guess that's what we should do since everyone's pursuing us, but nobody really knows how terrible tormented space is because very few have been there and returned. And she just looks out very meaningfully. And I think I should tell you that the next episode is called A Perfect Murder. And the description of it is, on a planet of warring clans, Aaron is accused of assassinating a clan leader. Ooh, that's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So... We're gonna learn about Aaron's summer vacation in tormented space, is what I'm saying! This feels like it's an escalation, like, the, an, I guess, necessary escalation at this point. Because Moya's crew has sort of, even with the eminent threat of the Scarens and everything... John's crew has sort of become the biggest fish in this pond. Yeah. And this is going to be a weird divergence. I From know. us? Shocking. Into our other podcast. One of the things I think about Farscape is that I think it's going to end before it reaches the problem shows like Supernatural have. Mm -hmm. Where your main characters become too powerful. So you have to kind of keep escalating the enemies. Okay. To the point where it becomes ridiculous yeah one of the things i like about charm is that after a certain point the charmed ones are more powerful than all of their enemies like it's interesting to have a show where the main characters aren't the underdogs like even with the slayer like it's something that has an expiration date like buffy is Every fight Buffy is in is an even fight. Mm -hmm. And eventually one day the odds will not be in her favor. But with the Charmed Ones, they so massive, after a while, they so massively outrank all of the demons. Whenever they come up, like when they come up against demons, demons are the underdogs that have to use tricks to not immediately die. Yeah. I mean, here I feel like Moya's crew has definitely leveled up. If it wasn't for the fact that two entire races are at war and they both want to capture John, there would be no danger. They would be the biggest, baddest things in the Uncharted Territories, as evidenced by the fact that they're going to go into a space, tormented space, where both Scarens and Peacekeepers are afraid to go. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I, God, I really like this episode. I did too. I, I wasn't expecting to. I, I thought it was going to be- It was a, a terrible title. Yeah, and it seemed like it was a weird gimmicky premise, but honestly, it's uh, it's so weird because they could have really easily dropped the shrinking thing, but it was just like a neat little addition to the plot. Yeah, yeah, it 
it's weird because it comes so late in the episode too like we've been dealing with bounty hunters on the ship for i think like 20 minutes out of the 40 minute episode before we actually start shrinking people down turns out vampires are real yep turns out you can shrink people there you go so i think it's time for our segments Mm -hmm. our first segment is a distant part of the universe what world building worked for you in this episode I don't know if this counts as world building, mm-hmm. but I feel like Rigel's speech to Sokozu about how fresh she is in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's weird because that doesn't feel like a world building thing, but I just feel like you get so much context for Sokozu's upbringing, even though we know that that's how she was raised. I mean, Rigel, Rigel literally tells her. There are more things in heaven and on earth than are dreamed of in your philosophy, Sokozu. Because mm-hmm. your philosophy sucks. Yeah, I mean, in a way, that's the ultimate world building, right? For me, I like the fact that John is being shown becoming dependent on a drug that is not making Ben Browder act like whatever it, whatever it was that Ben Browder did in the first three seasons when he was pretending to be high. Mm-hmm. Which, don't get me wrong, I love. As like a cheesy, corny thing. But I, I like that they've created a drug whose effects are so insidious that even Ben Browder can't ham them up. Our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures, where we talk about what alien design worked for us this episode. You know what? I like the bounty hunter aliens. They they were a little Power Rangers-y. But yeah, with that exoskeleton, yeah. But yeah, they looked like I, I bought them. And I liked the idea of what looks like armor, but is actually just an exoskeleton, because that's that makes sense. It's how like how bugs are. Yeah, yeah. That is that is literally how bugs work. I am gonna do a reverse strange alien creatures and talk about how they toned down the scarens. It's fine. Let them be dragons, you cowards. I wasn't a huge fan of the makeup. I mean I, I feel like this is I don't want to say it's them being lazy, because I hate when people say lazy. But it feels like if you're going to have these guys be more character-y, then yeah, that's... Yeah, the, the the lizard snout doesn't give you a lot to work with as far as acting goes, it's true. And our final segment is The Wonders That I Have Seen. What emotionally resonated with you this episode? Two Bites at the Apple, the Rigel Sukozu. I know, me too! Okay, but I didn't bite at that apple yet. Yeah. I'm going to bite that apple now. Yeah, because... Okay, can we just like mark this moment? This is like an emotional moment that worked for us where it's Rigel and Sokozu. I feel like it's very rarely Rigel, and I think this is a first for Sokozu. Yeah, but that's just because Sokozu hasn't been. Yeah, she's I, new. I'm she's not, new. I'm not surprised that Sokozu she's not, got one. But she's not Jewel. Yeah, she's not Jewel. I, I, I would have to go back and listen, and as I stated, I never listened to these episodes after I've sent them out into the wild, but I don't think we've ever... We've talked about feeling bad for Jewel. Do no, you... but I don't think we've ever done a Wonders I've Seen moment with Jewel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really good because Rigel is a terrible character. Or if he's a good character that I don't like, he's a well-written, horrible person who I don't care to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this moment where he's kind of calling Sokozu out, like, despite the fact that she is objectively way more useful than him in every way, like, her lack of experience... I think this last season we get a, we're getting a lot of growth from Rigel. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's funny, I feel like they tried to force it on us in the beginning, especially with like 
I think about Thank God It's Friday again. I, I feel like they were trying to force it on us when they did that. When they had Zan do that spirit painting of him. Yeah. But no, here it's it's organically happening. He's he's growing. He's growing as as a being. All right, I think that does it for this week. I think that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd also like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you can tweet at us at I Love TV Zines or you can email us at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territory.